Our first scripture reading this morning is from the book of Jonah 3, verses 1 to 10. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim it the message that I tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three days' walk across. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's walk. And he cried out, Forty days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and everyone great and small put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself in sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he had a proclamation made in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, no human being or animal, no herd or flock shall taste anything. They shall not feed, nor shall they drink water. Human beings and animals shall be covered with sackcloth, and they shall cry mightily to God. All shall turn from their evil ways and from the violence that is in their hands. Who knows? God may relent and change his mind. He may turn from his fierce anger so that we do not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Our second reading is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, verses 1 through 3. The Pharisees and Sadducees came, and to test Jesus, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be a stormy day, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times? An evil and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. And then he left them and went away. And our third teaching this morning is from Job chapter 12, 7 to 10. But ask the animals, and they will teach you. The birds of the air, and they will tell you. Ask the plants of the earth, and they will teach you. And the fish of the sea will declare to you. Who among these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? In his hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of every human being. The word of the Lord. As you might imagine, it is quite a privilege for me to be with you this morning. Thank you for the invitation. Have you heard the words of one of our new prophets, Greta Thunberg? Two weeks ago, she began her address at the European Parliament like this. 
My name is Greta Thunberg. I am 16 years old. I come from Sweden, and I want you to panic. I want you to act as if your house is on fire. A lot of people have explained why that is a bad idea. A great number of politicians said that panic never leads to anything good, and I agree. To panic unless you have to is a terrible idea. But when your house is on fire, and you want to keep your house from burning to the ground, then it does require some level of panic. With a catch in her throat, Greta bravely listed our litany of lamentations. We are in the sixth mass extinction, which is happening 10,000 times faster than normal and renders 200 species extinct every single day. There is also the erosion of fertile topsoil, deforestation of our great forests, toxic air pollution, the acidification of our oceans. At a very high level, Greta summarized the Intergovernmental Panel of Climate Change Scientists report. A group of 200 plus scientists from around the globe whose research all agrees. We have 10 years to reduce CO2 emissions by at least 50%. 10 years is not a long time. Our scripture readings this morning bring our species full circle. In the Hebrew text, way back in the time of Jonah, we are called to consider our lifestyle practices, to account for the ways that we have lived lavishly at the expense of others, and allowed ourselves to become distracted by the noise of it all. Again, Greta's prophetic voice. If our house was falling apart, you wouldn't talk about buying and building your way out of a crisis that has been created by buying and building things. If the walls of our house truly came tumbling down, surely you would set your differences aside and start cooperating. And then, much like in the Christian Gospels, when Jesus pushes the Pharisees and Sadducees to read the signs of the times, Greta speaks her truth to power. Well, our house is falling apart. Everyone and everything needs to change. Why waste precious time arguing about what and who needs to change first? The bigger your platform, the bigger your responsibility. The bigger your carbon footprint, the bigger your moral duty. There are a few directions we could go today with the sacred teachings from Jonah and Matthew. But I want to begin with this request from the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who so often felt threatened by Jesus. They ask for a sign from heaven, which for them meant a sign from a different realm. Jesus responds to their request by using a metaphor of the weather, the breathing environment that is surrounding them. It was sort of as if Jesus had said, you don't have to like it, 
But the sign of the times for which you speak is playing out right here, beneath your nose. I'm going to suggest that part of the trouble that we're in right now comes from our own confusion around which realm to be watching for signs. If we are only watching the political realm, or the media realm, or the Dow Jones realm, we have not taken full advantage of what is also readily available to us, right beneath our noses. Statues of St. Francis Assisi decorate gardens all over this country, and he is an inspiring example of one who looked for signs happening a few feet away. Francis had a deep love for animals, so much so that he would talk to them. In one famous account, Francis and his fellow monks were visiting a village to teach the people about Jesus. They rang their bell for people to come hear the sermons in the church, and no one came. But then a strange thing happened. Birds began to flock to the church, hundreds of them. They entered the church and sat still watching Francis. Francis smiled at his congregation and said, Brother and sister swallows, children of God, the men and women are occupied with the market, and they have forgotten to listen to the word of God. Please forgive their souls. Please know that you are truly cherished by your Creator. God prepares your food in the fields and gives you rivers and streams from which you can drink. God created the tall trees where you can raise your young, and God gave you the element of air and made it possible for you to fly. God loves you, and you should love God. And then the monks joined in telling the birds, you are strong, you are holy, you are beautiful, gentle, you are our hope and our salvation. Did some of you drinking your coffee and looking out your window this morning sing similar praises to the birds? Or equally important, and this is really important, did some of you make yourself so still that you could hear what sermons the birds were singing for you? One of my favorite spiritual teachers right now is a botanist named Robin Wall Kimmerer. In a recent interview with Krista Tippett, Robin said, I can't think of a single study in the last few decades that has demonstrated that plants or animals are dumber than we think. I don't know about you, but watching one episode of Planet Earth can put me in stupefied reverence for a week. There are such sophisticated and highly refined intelligences animating the lives of trees, fungus, beehives, marine mammals, to say nothing of the ant colonies, the horses, prairie grasses, elephants. And without any assistance from Netflix or Sir David Attenborough, St. Francis felt similarly. Without any science to back their observations, indigenous peoples throughout time 
have unquestioningly called upon every life form as fellow creatures, as relatives, Mother Earth, Father Sky, Brother Sun, Sister Moon. Science today is confirming the ancient wisdom shared with us in the writings of Job. But ask the animals, and they will teach you. The birds of the air, and they will tell you. The fish of the sea will declare to you, in God's hand is the life of every living thing. To me, this teaching sounds a lot like Jesus, reminding us that the sign we're needing to see is right here in the lives of our fellow relatives. What would it mean to include in our daily conversations the incredible divine teachings alive in the creation that is our planet home? Are we a bit like the Sadducees or the Pharisees, driven to watch for signs elsewhere while the signs of our times are here, waiting for us to perceive them? Admittedly, since the Industrial Revolution, we have gotten very out of practice. Some of us sing to our plants, and many of us talk with our pets. But isn't it also true that our results-driven, metrics-dependent logic has created a lot of confusion around effectiveness and efficiency? If we can't prove that a rain dance brings rain, wouldn't it be better spent digging a well or something? And upon still closer examination, might it also be, and hear me out on this one, when it comes to the functions of our fellow relatives, there are ways we humans perhaps feel woefully inadequate and a bit self-conscious about it. Robin Wall Kimmerer says it like this, as human people most recently evolved here, we lack the gifts of our companion species, who are nitrogen fixers or pollinators, or ones who annually complete 3,000-mile migrations under magnetic guidance. We can't even photosynthesize. The more we humans come to understand the incredible workings of this Garden of Eden, the more we are invited to see how truly dependent we are that despite our attempts to be in control, we aren't. But recognizing this truth does not mean that all is lost. On the contrary, it opens the door for something wonderful. When we profess our humility and interdependence to and with creation, we are liberated into a new kind of engagement. Like the Franciscan brothers, we can joyfully celebrate sister trees, brother fungus. You are strong. You are our hope. If we can perceive the incredible gifts around us, then we can receive the gifts with gratitude. And we can offer our gifts in return. Okay, it's true. We can't photosynthesize. But as fellow family members of the divine creation, just like brother and sister Swallow, each one of us has been infused with a gift 
with our piece to share. Your gift may be engineering or teaching. Your gift may be parenting or farming. You may be a listener or a healer or an artist. Maybe you're a civil servant or a shareholder or a Jonah shouting in the streets. Your gift may or may not be the work you do for compensation, and it doesn't matter. Your gift most likely is right under your nose. <laughs> and do you know something else about your gift? Your gift is about love. You offer your gift because it connects you to the love and gratitude you have for life, your life, and the lives of others for today and for 10 years from now. 10 years. We have 10 years to love. In the time of Jonah, the way to redemption was about repenting. And undeniably, we have some repenting to do. Social inequity is a form of ecological imbalance. And when we are in right relationship with one another, then we can be in right relationship with the rest of the living world. And when we're not in right relationship with the living world, it does tend to mess up our relationship with one another. Ms. Thunberg called us out. The bigger your platform, the bigger your responsibility. The bigger your carbon footprint, the bigger your moral duty. She also said, everyone and everything needs to change. We have a 10-year deadline, and this is going to be incredibly tough. I don't suppose the Ninevites leapt at a chance to fast in their sackcloth and perform a thorough self-assessment, but they did it, and God was there. At the General Assembly last June, Presbyterian USA instructed this, let the world know that we who follow Jesus will not back away from God's call to protect our common home. When the powers that deny or obscure the truth, we followers of Jesus will proclaim the truth to protect our common home. Let all of us incarnate the changes for which we long. Now is the time for congregations and for every person of faith to set a moral example through our own words and actions. As individuals and as communities, let us commit to making decisions of integrity in our energy choices, even as we commit to hold all our religious, political, corporate, and global leaders accountable to do the same. Greta ended her speech by reminding everyone in the room that as a 16-year-old, she is not allowed to vote. She pointed to the school children walking out from their classrooms and marching in the streets as their plea for the rest of the world to vote for them, to vote for the future living conditions of all humans and all beings. We have 10 years to live and love in a way that will make creation grateful for us. She is asking some mighty things of us right now. 
and we can show our love and appreciation by participating in her well-being. This is an honor. It lets us know that we and the gifts we bring belong in this divine home. Let us pray. I thank you, God, for most this amazing day. For the leaping greenly spirits of trees and a blue true dream of sky and for everything which is natural, which is infinite, which is yes. Now the ears of my ears are awake, and now the eyes of my eyes are opened. Amen.